0: If you could stand with me, we're going to be in Genesis 20, well, the last verse of 26, starting with Genesis 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basemith, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebecca. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son, and he said to him, here I am. Isaac said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebecca sent her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father, said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock, and bring me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing." But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit and eat my game that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be masters of your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Thank you. You may be seated Well, good morning.
1: Yeah, uh, when I read this story, one question that comes across my mind is, what could go wrong? Um, a daring opportunity, humorous for its absurdity, and how familiar. It is for some of us. I want to pray before I go to this passage, but before I do, um, I think we need to acknowledge, as we often do, the consequences of passivity, manipulation, greed, lies, sin, fragments or fragments the family or disintegrates it. Story, as I read it often, as I remember as a child, is humorous for its absurdity. But as you've grown older, many some of us, and have watched sin enter into the, maybe even our own families or families of others, those who have had to walk through situations where sin has been fostered for years and where it has rooted itself and when it finally bears its fruit, how much it hurts. And so, with that, I think it's kind of one of those funny stories, but just really sad. Because if you're like me, who've had, some, I mean, like, to be fair, like, I have one of the greatest blessings that I have had, both on my side and on my wife's side, is wonderful families. And I would say that one of them is perfect. No, <laughs> no, neither side of the family is perfect. Yet still, even as wonderful as my families have been, the moments in which sin creps in within it, and it bears its fruit, it becomes incredibly uncomfortable, and at times hurts very deep. We are about to go through a story where a family disintegrates. And the seeds of casualness or passivity or the manipulation and the greed, the lies, the sin that had been ignored comes to bear its fruit. And the walls of the unity of the family which they enjoyed, lost. And so I think like at times as we walk through a passage like this, it is so helpful to consider it. To walk through it. To contemplate it for ourselves. That when sin enters our own lives. To take the dangers of sin. Which we contribute in the family seriously. As we all, I think, can be honest with ourselves. That we do contribute. Whether to the good. Or whether to its disunity. So with that. That. I ask you to pray with me. Lord, I thank you for your word. I'm thankful for the story that's like 4,000 years old. Time does heal. We recognize that is able to, um, the distance between harm allows us to see it in a particular way that I'm sure the audience that was very f- familiar with this disunity, which was not humorous. And Lord, I recognize that even in this very room, the struggles and uncomfortability or the uncomfortable positions people have been found in because of sin in their family. These stories can be very familiar. We don't want to contribute to the disunity of our family, but we rather would love to rest in your righteousness and to be a vessel which increases the unity of the family which you have allowed us to be blessed with. And so with the warning set before us, Lord, I, I pray that we would be fearful of it, but then also really reflective, considering how we use the time, whether it be in our own families or even in this church, in this community, as we contemplate the consequences of our own actions towards one another. In Jesus' name, Amen. What I like about this story, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, is that the narrator has been very careful. Indeed, everyone is contributing to the the fragmentation of this family, but the writer has been careful not to give the cause and effect reason for why the sin occurs. Rather, Each individual is responsible. The father is culpable. The mother is responsible. The children are at fault. It's not like, well, my dad treated me like this, so I'm the product of his behavior. No, the narrator has been very careful to contribute in his writing to give responsibility to each member of the family, never casting blame against the other, but rather they're all participating in their own Greed, passivity, manipulation, and lies, which are all contributing ultimately to the fragmentation of this family, which is helpful if you're young, if you're a child, right? It is true that parents play a role in helping shape the unity of a family, but children or young youth or college or whatever, young adults, you... Bear the same image of God that your parents bear. You are just as much a person as your parents are a person and play a role in contributing towards the unity of the family. This is why children are not off the hook when you read the Benedict. Honor your father and your mother. Obey Right? So parents have a responsibility towards the unity of the family, but so do children. So when we go through this story, the narrator is emphasizing each individual role, whether it be the father, the mother, or the children. We all play a role in contributing to the unity of the family. And as a result of that, we all can read this story reflectively, considering to ourselves how do we contribute to the unity over the fragmentation of this family? It doesn't matter if you're in second grade or whether you are in your master's program. Whether you're single, we all play a role in, towards the community and the unity of the family. Significantly, we have already come to realize in last week's reading in Genesis chapter 25, this family has issues. One, it does have parental issues. One, Genesis 25, verse 28. After 20 years waiting for children, the parents were born with twins and the parents chose their favorites. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for the game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So, you have parents picking their favorites, but the siblings are contributing to the problem as well. Before even they're born, Rebecca, the twins within her, are fighting. And ever since their birth to their, to their growing up, there is this rivalry that is thick. I read some of that last week in which Jacob is manipulating Esau to get his birthright, and Esau carelessly gives his brother, for the sake of lentil soup, his birthright, this rivalry that exists, already hinted to some of the narrator's contributions and carefulness in the story. But in the account read this morning, he's been also very careful to show you how much it's fragmented. fragmented. This family consists of four, four individuals, but never does he put more than two of them together in a scene. The closest we see three of the family members together is when Rebecca is listening listening in to Isaac and Esau's conversation. The family is fragmented. It has been reaping this passivity towards their own issues. And the writer wants us to recognize the issues that are occurring within this family and ultimately going to bear a significant fruit of fragmentation. What I want to do is just go through each individual. Think about it. Isaac has contributed to this fragmentation. Rebecca, Jacob, Esau. Some are taking different roles, but they are all held accountable to the positions that they hold in the family. None of us escapes this story, whether we're a father, whether a mother, or whether a child. And so Isaac, like I've said already, his contributions up to this point, up this far, his practice in parental favoritism. You know, he loves a child, as we saw in Genesis chapter 25 last week, for what Esau gives him. Esau is wonderful with the stew, the hunting, and what he can make out of it. As a result of this, he loves Esau, not for who he is, but what what he gives him. Sadly, we're never told in this story, starting in Genesis 25, even through 27 and 28, what Isaac's issue was with Jacob. We give reason for why he likes Esau, but he simply just doesn't love Jacob. In fact, in the account that we were read this morning, Esau is careful to emphasize who his son is. He saw it in Genesis 27, 1. He's about to die. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son. Esau to him, my son. And he said to him, here I am. After he is done, and while Rebecca is listening in, she says in verse, 20, in verse 5, Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home. I'm emphasizing these two points because Isaac never calls Jacob his son. He calls Esau his son. And the one time, that Jacob actually does get called my son, is when he's dressed like Esau. Ironic. Irony. In fact, to show the wage which exists within the family, and this not Isaac and Rebekah's issue, is that, in fact, Rebekah claims Jacob as her son. Look at Genesis 27, verse 6. And Rebekah said to her son, Jacob. Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother, or at least we know they're brothers. Your brother Esau sang. And this tradition of favoritism has started since their birth to the point when Isaac is on his deathbed. The years of seeding these seeds of fragmentation in the family are going to bear its fruit. So not only does Isaac contribute in this parental favoritism, but he's also spiritually distracted. For the sake of time, I won't remind you, but when Rebecca was frustrated or concerned about the two twins clashing within her because of the rivalry between the two of them, she goes to the Lord and she goes, why is it this way? And it was the Lord that revealed to her that the younger will rule over the older and the older will serve the younger. And this oracle of God that given to Rebecca, Isaac, was more than familiar with. And so not only is he practicing parental favoritism, two, he's spiritually distracted he loves the food and he's on his deathbed and he wants one last meal. In spite of the oracle which was given to him, the blessing to be given to Jacob, he extends to Esau because Esau can cook. Look what he says in verse 3 and 4. I'm about to die. I have this responsibility of the blessing. Now then. Please take your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare a savory dish for me, so as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may may bless you before I die. The three things at which Isaac loves is his wife. Told in Genesis that when he saw Rebekah, he loved her. He loves Esau, which I refer to already. And third, his stew. Man. So not only is he contributing to this parental favoritism, spiritually distracted. He passively, as we read this morning, overlooks the immoral, the immoral behavior of Esau. Right. What has Esau done? He's, he has dishonored the family by casting aside his birthright. And not only that, he has grieved his parents in 26, verse 34 and 35, by taking women of a different clan, the Canaanites, as a result of willfully choosing for himself and not by the wisdom of Isaac, his parents, to choose a wife. He brought grief upon Isaac and Rebekah. He has a history of being passive towards the promises of God and doing what he wants and choosing purposely to bring grief upon his parents. And Isaac is willing to overlook all the things that Esau has historically done. I'm dying and I want a good last meal. And in exchange of that, even in spite of the blessing which God has given to give to Jacob, I will give to you. I'll sell it for an exchange of foods. Three times in this passage, just so that you might not miss it, it's Esau, he tells, it's Rebecca who proclaims it, and Jacob who goes out to get the food, which prepares the food, which the father loves. I don't know what the stew is about. But outside of this passage, the term, this special stew, this delicacy, is always put in the negative. It's like the king who is trying to prime his hearer to do something for himself. It's not a positive use of food in the context of how it's used in the Old Testament. And so not only does Isaac contribute to the family by his parental issues, his spiritual disregard, and his Willingness to passively look over the rebellion of his son for something that his son could give him. And we do that all the time. I think the third one. We call it grace, but it's really an exchange of funds. Because they do something for me, and because they do something for me, why rock the boat? And for years, the seed of not addressing the rebellion of Esau is going to bear a fruit in Isaac. Or for the family. So Not only does Isaac contribute to the problem, but so does Rebecca. Rebecca is interesting. When God called her to go marry Isaac she leaves her family and her home in the matter of a moment but as the years gone by she is fixated that the son that she loves gets the blessing and granted the lord told me that jacob will get the blessing right well abraham lived this way too you will have a son and through that son the blessing of that son will go be a blessing to the whole world Rebecca acting like her father-in-law takes things into her own hands and manipulates the scene that she's willing to interject her will over her husband's will and she schemes, now hear this, she schemes and manipulates her old, dying, blind, senseless husband, takes his weaknesses in order to fulfill her desires, in some sense we find that funny, but it's quite not funny if you're the recipient of that type of behavior. In fact, when she hears that Esau is about to get the blessing in exchange for some delicacies, look what she does. She takes things into her hand and she's in charge. Rebecca says in verse 6 to her son, Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, a delicacy, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. We've got to take matters into our own hands. You can see how she's acting in charge. When God created creation, he spoke things into being. But when he said, do not eat of that tree, but you can eat of all the trees, he used this phrase, I command you not to eat from that tree. And Rebecca uses the same language in verse 8. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. She's in charge. And she's, she's willing to interact, interject her will over her husband's will, who's this old, blind, senseless husband, dying, so as to preserve what she think he should do. They're, another way to say this is they're not on the same page, so to speak. Literally, the children have found their place in the middle between her and her husband, which we are prone to as well place our children in the middle of our relationship. and rather than having Rebecca go to Isaac, Rebecca schemes. Jacob. He's going to have his own contributions, but when he sighs, "Well, if I'm found out, I'm going to get cursed," Rebecca is willing to take the blame for everything. that she sighs in verse 13. If you' found out, but his mother said to him, "Your curse be on me. I'll take the blame. My son, only obey my voice and go get them for me." Now, we have an issue already with this family. The parents are not on the same page. Each are clearly contributing to the fragmentation of this family. But what we find with the children is there fully invested in contributing to the fragmentation of the family as well. Jacob. And when Jacob, like as we read last week, he's cold, he's careless, he's conniving, and he's quite deceiving. In fact, we're just only getting to the beginning of Jacob's practices. But when, when he hears about this scheme of his mother... He's not bothered by the fact that it's morally wrong. He's bothered by the reality, I could get caught. He's willing to participate in stealing that which is, or taking that which is, by means of it, that which is inappropriate. But rather, he's more concerned, if I get caught, I'm going to get cursed. So how can we figure this thing out? that I can get it without being caught. He's willing to participate. And he's quite willing to deceive, just like his mother, an old, blind, dying, senseless. And I say senseless because, like, he's going to touch Jacob, he's going to smell Jacob. All the mental sensories are not working with Isaac. He's willing to take advantage of that. And he's willing to put animal skin on him, and his brother's clothing on him, and he's willing twice to lie. And so as he gets dressed up, after he's gotten the food and the soup is prepared for him, the stew, which isn't really the meat that Isaac wants, it's just something in the field, a lamb, perhaps... And when his father hears Jacob, and it sounds like Jacob, this is when the game begins. And Jacob's willing to lie, verse 18. When he came to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? For some reason, I like to put myself in that scenario. Like, you either bail (laughs) or you go all in. And there's no hesitation here. Jacob is all in. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please sit, and eat of my game that you bless may bless me. Again in verse 24, Isaac is like, you don't sound like Esau. And he asks again. And he said, are you really my son, Esau? And he said, "I am like no wavering of the eyes, or wa- being halfly like he's he is bought into his lie and is fully willing to deceive his father for what his father could give him." And not only does he, he lie to his father, not only is he willing to act immorally, but he's also to cl- willing to claim. I don't know if this is the worst of all of them or not, but when his father asks him, Well, how did you get the animal or the stew so quickly that he's willing to attribute to his actions the name of the Lord and his blessing? So it so was I prayed about it, and God just answered my prayers. And so we're, here we go. God is, God is clearly in this, Dad. That's Jacob's paraphrase. Literally, he says in verse twenty-seven, twenty. Isaac said to his son, How is it? That yeah, you have it it's so quickly, my son. And Jacob said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me, willing to misuse the name of the Lord in his deception. These things will build seeds of fragmentation clearly within this family. He's willing to clothe himself in animal hide in his brother's clothing. Look at verse 25 and 27. This is probably where the tension is the closest and the the highest. So he said, bring it to me. And I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate. And he also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father, Isaac, said to him, please come close and kiss me. My son, this would be the moment. You're going to be found out but they've clothed it and masked it. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. I've said that often to Lincoln. (laughs) See, (laughs) See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Even at this moment, Jacob doesn't come clean, fully bought in to deceive his father. So you've got a father who's practicing parental favoritism, spiritually disconnected, who's willing to overlook the immoral position of Esau. You have a wife who's willing to intercede with her will over the will of her father or her husband, manipulate an old, dying, senseless, blind man so as to get the blessing to the child that she loves, and you have a son who's willing to partake and even claim that God is working through this. Yet those seeds are going to bear a fruit. And so when Esau returns, the walls come down. And this family will never be the same again. And no doubt, Esau has contributed to this problem. Like I've said already, he has acted immorally. In fact, as I stressed last week, selling of his birthright, his response to marrying the women, the Canaanites, of a clan that was outside of the clan of Abraham, he is depicted as an immoral, godless person. doesn't want to do anything with God. And so he's almost like the bystander in this story. He's just going through the motions, but in some ways, what's unique about Esau is that when he's been given the opportunity to receive the blessing, he doesn't even perceive himself as disqualified. His mistreatment of his family, his mistreatment of how he perceives God, he thinks this is, a, this is, a, this is totally fine, and unwilling to recognize that his decisions disqualify him and is willing to receive even being disqualified by his actions and attitude. The thing comes down, and I just want to walk and read with you as you see it all come down, and this family literally becomes disintegrated. Verse 30. It's almost as if they're passing each other as Jacob's received the blessing, and he's running out. Esau's coming in. Now it came about as... Soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father, and said to his father, Let my father rise and eat of his son's game, that ye may bless me. He has no idea what's taken place. Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And it clicks. And Isaac knows what just happened. Now I know. Some of you would be like, Oh, well, just pull Jacob back in the tent. Just rebuke him. Don't do that again. The blessing's not yours. I'm going to give it to Esau. This is this, this is uh, a misunderstanding the blessing at the deathbed. There are some ceremonies even in our own culture that are not reversible. right? I think one of the closest is our weddings. Once done, done. And sometimes, like Jacob, here in a a couple next chapters here, he wants to marry Rachel and he has the nice wedding night. Wakes up in the morning and it's not Rachel. It's Leah. And that ceremony was sealed. And he actually gets the The card pulled on him that he pulled on Esau. This ceremony, even done in deception, is valid. And when Isaac, that's why he is tormented. Once the will is signed, it's finalized. It's kind of the idea of this blessing deathbed ceremony. This is probably why you should do it with witnesses in the room. Rebecca's outside deceiving against her husband. Jacob willing to take it. The act has been done. So in verse 33 Isaac trembled violently. And said, "Who was that? Who was he that then that hunted game and brought it to me, so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him?" Yes. And he shall be blessed. It's done. Whoever that was who came before you, they got that which is yours. Esau is going to be naturally livid. Verse 34. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And said to his father, "Bless me, even me also, O oh my father." And Esau will not receive blessing, but rather, you will be the servant of your son or your brother Jacob. And what takes place for the remainder of this chapter is that Esau's bitterness towards Jacob leads him to the point, the consequences. You'll see here in verse forty-one. Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother. He's willing to eliminate his brother because of what? Like, you know, there's some families that, we all do this. I think during Christmas, we take family photos. This one doesn't. (laughs) Why? Why? The years of passively looking over sin and individually continuing to contribute to the fragmentation of this family, this family becomes disintegrated. Rachel, or excuse me, Rebecca, when she hears that Esau wants to kill Jacob, she says, Jacob, you need to go for a couple days. You can see this in verse 44. Go to my my. Go to my brother Laban, stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. Until your brother's anger against you subsides, he forgets what you did to him. <laughs> like That's going to happen. Then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be reaved of you both in one day? She has lost now her son Esau because of her actions. And she's now worried about losing Jacob, who she loves, and his life. And she's going to send him away what she thinks is going to be just a little short period of time. It's going to be 20 years. Jacob will never see Isaac Rebecca. He will ultimately come to see Esau again. But as this chapter concludes, because of this family's contribution in sin, it has disintegrated. And Jacob will leave the promised land which God had sent Abraham to and go outside of it, where Laban lives. See the story, I want to go to our convictional response. The story is humorous, humorous for its absurdity here put animal skins on you, put on your brother's clothes, buy into everything I'm saying, like like to read it. Back, like, that's stupid. Why would you do that? But as, as I walk through this and reflect on my own life, like, some of the closest, like, the people that we are most closest with, when we sin against each other, how hurtful it becomes. This was hurtful because a family was willing to leave their sin unaddressed and why would the narrator want the nation of Israel to see it because we know and when we read in Exodus they're going to get the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments a standard of right living not only before the community but within the family because the writer knows just as well as you know sin not only destroys our relationship with God it destroys our relationship with one another And it disintegrates families, churches, communities, yes, and a nation. And you have to take it seriously. And it is so tempting. Like, Jacob's issues and why he's so willing to manipulate and deceive his father is because he loved Esau more than Jacob. Now, Jacob contributed to this problem. Like, we have this saying, uh, somebody said it to me, like, just because somebody is acting like a child doesn't mean you act like the child it's really helpful as a parent because as the four-year-old is screaming and fighting and wanting their like it doesn't give you permission to do the same thing but somehow when it comes to church life or family life or social life we think that's okay and so they said something rude on facebook now they'll we say like we do this with one another, and we just simply, rather than taking responsibility for our own actions, rather say, well, it's a cause and effect relationship. That's what's so interesting to me when you read Jesus' teaching on how a family and a community, how the kingdom of God is going to operate, is that he would say, if someone slaps you, what are you supposed to do? Contribute back. No, he says, turn the other cheek. Why? Because we all morally have a responsibility to the family. And not only in the nation of Israel's account, like the sin which, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see time and time after again how sin, once it creeps in within the family or into the nation, it disintegrates everything there that was hopeful. Another great example would be David. His whole life. I love reading the first part of David's life. He never does anything wrong. The man who's trying to kill him for eight years, he never responds with anger towards him. Twice he gets to kill him. His own men are trying to tell him to kill him. And he says, no, you cannot touch the Lord's anointed. And he's like, perfect? And then he gets into his 50s. He becomes king of Israel. Everybody loves the way that he walks. He's literally for the first time brought the people of Israel into unity. Through righteous living. So cool. And then he goes out on his palace and he sees Bathsheba. And you read 2 Samuel, his family, the nation, disintegrates. Whether it be Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Esau, David, Tamar, Absalom. Absalom is held accountable for his own actions, for fragmenting the nation. And it gets there because people are unwilling to look how they contribute to the, the unity or the Fragmentation of the family through their sin. Of all people, whether we're, now, we're in an era where the church exists, we ought to be the most reflective people. As we have such an advantage to look back 4,000 years and see what sin does to a family. Whether you're a father, whether you're a wife, whether you're a child. You play a role towards unity in the family. If you allow me, like, one passage in our conclusion, like, if you read the New Testament, they want you, the epistles, Christ himself wants you to take sin seriously, even in the people of God, even the church. This is a heavy passage, but if you were to read with me 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is, he's, he's upset Because there's been this, like Isaac, this passivity towards an individual who's walking in sin. It's actually reported to me that there is immorality among you. This is 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. And he's like, you keep putting up with this, it will disintegrate. Not only your families, but the church. It's actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, and you have become arrogant, and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Like, if if we read of Matthew 18, like, there's this process of discipline within the people of God. Like, we take sin seriously. Why? Because it disintegrates. Not only our families, but the church, the community of God. Verse 3, for I, on my part, therefore, though absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. It's so challenging, I think, you know, I think to family members, to overlook. Areas of where people need to be loved. And just, be, it's so hard to talk about each other's sin. Let's just say it as it is. It's really hard. And we settle for, let's just get along. But as years, we all know this, as years go unreconciled, those seeds get deeper and they root deeper and then they bear fruit Paul, like, loves the community and he wants you to get sin out and addressed. Verse 6, you're boasting. It's not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Right? So We all play a part. Even a little bit of our contributions towards fragmentation are not healthy. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of mouths and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Beautiful. See, I know this, and you know this, that our our families tend to be messed up just as much as, or maybe not, hopefully a little bit better, not as much messed up as those outside of the world and if I was an outsider, I'd be like, hey, your families are messed up. Why is what you have to my advantage? And the truth of the matter is, is it's the gospel. There is no other vehicle which we have which provides us the ability to forgive one another outside of Christ. The world, when it has sin, it just divides and divides and divides, and just seeds more fragmentation in their families. We who have Christ have this opportunity because of what we know in Christ to have a family, which is able to reconcile with one another. What's my convictional response? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it's be humble. Consider yourself. Are you contributing towards unity or fragmentation by overlooking your own sin? I think that's where we start. Just as Jesus said, don't take the board out of your brother's eyes. All right, now don't take the speck out of your brother's eye if you have a board in your own. And it starts with reflecting on yourself. Have you contributed towards unity or fragmentation because of your sin? Let's pray. Lord, well, whether we are an apparent